So I'm here with Jeff Jauer. Jeff is the CEO and co-founder of Star IQ, and uh, he writes a really wonderful column every issue of Mountain Astrologer that's uh, just an exhaustive uh, amount of information that's wonderful, and, and uh, it's amazing how much you write. And then you write an annual book as well um, that you publish with uh, Rick Levine, and and you're also on uh, uh, Tarot.com. Yep. And you're doing regular videos on there, too, as well, is that right? Yeah, Rick and, and I... And daily, we, daily updates. Yeah, Rick and I shoot a daily... Uh, we do a month's worth of daily videos in about four hours. We actually shoot at Tarot in Portland. And uh, we do an audio version, which we've been doing for 11 years, I think. Yeah, we produce a lot of material. It's a lot of material. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. really, really amazing. Um, so thanks for all your great contributions. So, so Jeff, you were talking yesterday about uh, Uranus and Aries. It's, uh, it's on everyone's mind. It's a big cycle, and it's a long cycle. So we're in it for quite a while. And you had a, an interesting perspective on, on what we can do with that personally in our charts and in our lives. Both Uranus and Aries are about individuality. And they're both about newness and about freshness. So I think what the combination together has to do with is being new and, and primarily relying upon the individual as the source of radical change for the culture. Uh, most of the institutions that we rely upon have fallen apart in one way or another. I don't know anybody on the right, left, or middle who's particularly happy with government, uh, except for uh, a, a few at the upper echelon of the corporate world. I don't know how many people are really happy about that. Lots of other people are struggling as independents. Uh, teachers are losing jobs, getting salaries cut. And I think part of the issue is with Uranus and Aries that we can't wait for anyone else to take the initiative and to, and to take the lead. This planet of, of revolution and the sign, the pioneering first sign of the zodiac, I think, is a strong astrological signal to be more autonomous, uh, to empower ourselves to make choices. You know, I think that although most of the people who are interested in astrology and interested in this kind of thing um, are engaged in personal growth, it always seems to be out there. One day we'll grow up, one day the world will change. And because I'm 65 years old and have been through the 60s, I, I've seen how a revolutionary flame can burn out, how it tends to be co-opted by the larger culture. And that, you know, Thomas uh, Jefferson's idea, good Aries as he was, that revolution is supposed to be kind of a continuous process. It's something that we haven't really engaged in, certainly culturally and politically in the U.S. or in much of the world. And yet, I think now is the opportunity for each one of us to be our own leader, to be our own guru, to be the agent of change. And yet, I understand as a Taurus that there's enormous resistance to change. I think it's inherent in in our nature to resist radical change, even if we sort of believe in it and we want to invite it into our lives and recognize that it's necessary. So I think that by, by evoking small degrees of change in our daily lives, by looking at where our patterns are and at least being willing to uh, uh, alter or adjust some of them, we each then resonate with Uranus and Aries. We don't necessarily have to figure out how to end poverty or how to radically change the world in a sociopolitical sense. But when we change ourselves, is there enough of us who are willing to do that? Again, even on a small scale, there's something about persistence which has 
power. And I do think, or I hope, that what Uranus scenarios will represent is over the next seven years, the liberation of individuals in ways large and small that contribute to a collective wave of discovery. The notion, again, of the leader, the savior, is in some ways, I think, an infantile notion. Uh, because it's, it's waiting for Big Daddy to come along with a better idea and to do things that we can't do for ourselves. And yet, it's our willingness, I think, to, to be those pioneers that really can make a radical difference. Well, let's, let's bring in Neptune and Pisces, speaking of saviors. So we have this uh, symbol that's all about individual action and personal revolution, and then we have this symbol that's about uh, group mind and, and group consciousness. How do you blend those together? Uh, that's a great question, Tony, because I don't know that they blend together. They coexist, just as we all have in us things that coexist where we're kind in some areas of life and impatient and rude in other areas of life, somehow as individuals, we have these, uh, 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 these contradictions. I think things operate on many levels at the same time, and, and Uranus is largely an intellectual planet. It's working the nervous system. Some consider it a higher octave of, of intellectual Mercury, and Aries is, a, is associated with the head. So we've got this one side, which is maybe going ahead rather quickly on an intellectual level, and maybe what allows that to happen is the sense of connectedness. In other words, perhaps it's safer for me to take risks and behave in socially inappropriate ways when Neptune in Pisces operates to remind me that I belong, that no matter how radical I might be or how inappropriate I might be in my behavior in the moment, that I still belong to the spiritual community of humanity. So while we could see these as, as contraindications, that is, well, how can I be Uranus and Aries because I might upset somebody and we're all so sensitive to one another in our cuddly little uh, uh, Neptune and Pisces collective, I think it can be read in the opposite way, in that if there is a spiritual foundation, then we can't fall out of the universe. There's, there, there's nothing that we, that we can destroy or break in a fundamental way. So that, that's one fashion in which these two might be able to support one another. Thank you for that. Um, I'm going to ask you some other questions, and if you don't like any of these, you don't have to answer them. <laughs> so, um, fate or free will? Uh, a, a, a false choice, basically. Uh, I, I like what my uh, writing and teaching partner, Rick Levine, says, uh, which is exercise your illusion of free will. Fundamentally, we can't know if we have free will. We absolutely can't because the, the, the language that, I, that we use, the culture we exist in, the biology that we have are not things that we've created ourselves. I have no idea whether at this moment when I raise my hand, whether this is a choice that I'm making that might be the illusion of free will or whether it's you know something that was determined uh, 10,000 years ago or whether I'm being directed by my extraterrestrial overlords. I don't know. And I really like Rick's idea that whether we, there is an ultimate free will or not, that we operate with as much choice as, as we can. Great. And where do you see astrology's place? I'll say, where do you see astrology's rightful place in our culture? You know, we, we have, we hear this all the time that people, um, people will say, do you believe in astrology? And then we have other people say, 
how do we prove astrology? You know, is astrology a science? Is astrology an art? Is it a religion? Where does it really fit? Where, is it, where do you see the, the rightful place for astrology in our culture? Well, I think it has elements of all of that. I mean, it has a certain scientific element. It's based on astronomical calculations. That part of astrology is totally scientific in a sense. Um, but there is an artistic side and there is a creative side to it. Astrology, I think, holds the role that it has always held, which is the connection of the as above and so below. The recognition that our lives here on Earth as individuals, as groups and as nations are in sync with larger natural cycles. I mean, to me, that's the most healing aspect or one of the most healing aspects of astrology is the reminder that we are not separate from this physical world and as many speakers have have mentioned at this conference the notion of the enchanted universe that astrology at its best is a reminder that that there is meaning in nature that the symbolism that we get from the science of astrology i.e uranus is going into aries that's a scientific an astronomical calculation but that it is imbued with symbolic power and meaning and mystery uh, that unveils and offers something to us. So I think it, it, it is really the bridge between science and religion, between the notion that life has meaning, which is a religious concept, and the notion that there are mechanistic forces in the world that can be measured objectively, which is science. And so astrology builds a bridge between those two. It is wholly neither one nor the other, but it gives us a place in which the mind can exercise the analytical qualities that come from a scientific uh, uh, perspective, but in a spiritual, religious, or metaphysical framework with the poetry and the art of meaning. So what, do, what role does the astrologer serve in that process? Well, the, the, the astrologer is the translator. The astrologer is the, the one who gives voice, who takes the astronomical positions, that is the scientific measurements, and enlivens them with a humanizing spirit. And we were talking about meaning and, and uh, you know, uh, Richard Tarnas has this uh, quote from his book Cosmos and Psyche, the primal world is ensouled. And do you see the, the meaning, do you think the meaning comes first or do you think we put the meaning onto things? Oh, I think we put meaning on things because whatever meaning something could have that was pre-existent to us wasn't in a, in, in a human-based form. We're a receiver and a transmitter with a very specific set of frequencies and instruments and tools like this camera and this recording equipment that you're using. And if there is a meaning uh, 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 that preceded us or that is larger than us or that w within which we exist, our meaning is a human interpretation of these things. What about using astrology for prediction? You know, where do you, where do you sit on that issue? Um, I'm, I've heard people at the conference talk about, actually hear people often at conferences talk about how um, predictive astrology is bad or wrong or dangerous or all these things. And yet, um, when clients come to us, they're saying, well, what's going to happen next year? <laughs> and so we end up doing predictive astrology on some level. And so, I mean, how do you, uh, how do you no negotiate that issue in your own practice? Well, all astrology is predictive. Natal astrology is predictive because we're making assumptions about a person's character and their psychological story and perhaps even their spiritual uh, journey based upon a birth chart. That's a prediction. We're projecting into the future uh, based upon a, a given moment in time. I think, again, like the issue of fate and free will, the box doesn't, doesn't uh, contain the answer. 
prediction operates in many ways. And it's always been the astrologer's job to predict. If, if Egyptian astrologers were unable to predict the, the uh, rising of Sirius, then they wouldn't know when the Nile would flood and agriculture wouldn't have worked. So I think prediction is fundamental to astrology. The question is how it's expressed, how it's framed. An absolute deterministic form of prediction. You're gonna, you know, don't do this because next Tuesday you're gonna meet a, 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 a tall uh, a blonde man, etc., uh, etc. Et That's very limiting. It's not very creative. That's more like psychic work. But predictions saying, oh, Saturn is passing over your moon and you're likely to be feeling emotional contraction at this time, then is not necessarily a limiting experience uh, when we uh, take that and go further with it and say, look, here's a wave that's coming. That's a prediction. We can describe the quality of the wave. I think the real ethical and application issues have to do with the specificity and the spirit with which that, that information is presented. Uh, you know, I was trained as a humanistic astrologer largely, and they had a very simple way of doing things. You have to be able to say something constructive about everything. So you could say, uh, you have Saturn uh, transiting over your moon, and this could be a period of time of emotional isolation, even a kind of sadness, perhaps even a depressive state. And here's what it means, here's what it expects of you or represents, and here's how you can manage it. So if you're providing tools that can help a person work in an effective way, I think prediction is useful. I mean, it's uh, so much of culture is all of that it, it is predictive. The doctor says, if you continue this behavior, you're going to have this problem. The teacher says, if you don't improve your grades, I predict that you are going to fail. So I don't think we, we could nor should extract that from astrology. It is how much room for growth and creativity uh, we give the client, we give ourselves when it's self-predicting. Right. Um, speaking of humanistic astrology, I think of humanistic astrology and some of the main tenets of humanistic astrology as being a bit of an experiment. It was a new idea that you could sort of give somebody a reading in which you point them in, in a positive direction or, or give them opportunities for choice that were more expansive instead of just, instead of, I guess, in response to an astrology that felt more deterministic. and. Now that you've been practicing that for several years, um, how do you feel the experiments worked? Well, <laughs> I'm a, a mixed. <laughs> Mostly I'm for it. I think the experiment works insofar as it's created an astrology that has an enormous potential for liberation. That, that knowing who, are, who we are, raising the unconscious into consciousness gives us choice. And in that sense, I think humanistic astrology has represented or corresponded with the best of the 60s, 70s wave of, of self-awareness, new age movement, whatever we want to call it. However, I think that astrology, much older than humanistic astrology, new age, new wave, does revert back to its most uh, sort of traditional forms at times. That even in the story I often tell is after uh, listening to Alexander Ruperty, one of the leaders of humanistic astrology, give a three-hour broad philosophical anything is possible uh, lecture. At lunch, one of his students said to me, I have uh, Saturn on my Venus and my life sucks. That, that, there, that astrology is, I, I often say, I, I believe is much more Saturnian or is fundamentally Saturnian. That is, it, is, it has traditionally been a device for control. The monarch, 
didn't ask his astrologer uh, uh, to expand his awareness, the monarch said, what can I do to win the battle? What can I do to avoid the problem? So I think that humanistic astrology is not free of astrology, nor should it be, but that it's sort of, it's like the upper part of the ship is essentially floating through this Aquarian reality of, of, of human potential, and yet there is a, the, the vast hull of the ship is still plowing through the astrological waters, which do have a deterministic component to them because the positions of the planets are absolutely determined. When you do a reading, do you tend to show people or um, explain to people a wide range of possibilities, including like a low-end expression of things? Or I, I'll, I'll, I'll almost always do, here, here, here are the positives and here are the negatives, and describe it in those terms. But of course, that too is very subjective because, and incomplete, because the supposed negative may wind up to be the positive. You know, if the person says, oh, I'm in a relationship and I love this and I love my partner, but I think he, she, it, they are cheating, whatever, uh, uh, you know, uh, will this make it? Well, the, the bad news is, no, it looks like it's, it's not going to make it. And maybe that will move the person onto something more desirable. I mean, we have this sort of, and Liz Green quotes an old story about that in one of her books about that idea of what's good and what's bad. And I don't want to tell the story again, but it's the idea that that when we live in short-term reality of immediacy in our culture, uh, Western uh, American culture especially is, is you know, an ADD culture, um, we tend to uh, score the results of things very quickly when in fact some of the most painful experiences we've had. I had a very painful divorce that led me to astrology without that, without going through the pain and being led to inquire about my life, maybe I wouldn't have met astrology, which is the, the gain from astrology for me on every level has uh, exceeded 10,000-fold uh, the pain that brought me to it. Great. Thank you so much for sharing that. So uh, what's, what's up next for you? you? You do workshops all over the world. You've been to Bali, and I mean, where, where are you going next? Well, Rick Levine and I are doing our second workshop in San Miguel de Allende, Mexico. We're doing it November 5th through 12th this year. San Miguel de Allende is a, uh, is a beautiful high desert town, very safe, tranquil, lovely place. And we're teaching in a 250-year-old hacienda that's also gorgeous. But what Rick and I are working on this year especially is for the attendees to look at to look at the cycles, the big cycles coming up for the next five years or so, and prepare ourselves to be the leaders, to use astrology as a means not just for self-awareness, but to inform people how to take their own charts and use those to be the pioneers, to be the revolutionaries, to be the leaders that these times need. Great. Thanks for taking time to be here with us today. And you guys can check out um, Jeff Monthly on YouTube as well. You, got, you and Rick do a... Uh, um, we do a monthly forecast from a local cafe uh, in Redmond, Washington. Right. Is it always the first weekend of the month? First Wednesday of every month. Great. Yeah. So if you're, in, if you're local, you can stop by and check it out. Mm -hmm. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Tony.